approximately 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks, and behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Verse 22, thus Noah did, according to that all that God commanded him, so he did. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here today, for that which you've already done in our hearts and in our lives, for choosing to come and be with us. Lord, we're so blessed today. I ask that you would open up our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. That my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your son, Jesus. Touch us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we dive into this amazing story, I find this story just a little bit hard to believe. Can I be honest with you for a moment? When I think about the fact that one man... And his three sons built an ark, built a boat big enough to house two of every kind of animal on the earth and food and water and all the things that they would need for them and the animals to survive. Not just for 40 days and 40 nights, but the Bible says in, in chapter 7 verse 24 that the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Five months they floated, and they had to have enough room and enough space. And I think to myself, of all of the animals, is this even remotely possible? I mean, I know that God can do some amazing things. I know that God calls the waters to part. I know that he created the heavens and the earth. But is it really possible for one man to to build a boat out in the middle of the desert that could hold this many people? Has anyone ever had this thought before? Just for me, indulge me for a moment, I want to show you a video that takes you through the actual science of what we know about the ark, what the Bible says, and what we know about uh, the, the animal kingdom, and, and let's answer this question. Before we get going any further, is it even possible for this to happen? I can try to talk that fast today, but I don't know if we'll get much done. I'm having a good time today. I don't know about everyone else. I'm just in my own head having a really party. There's things going off, streamers. So now that we have this question answered, could it happen? Let's look at the Bible and see what God would speak to us today. God has decided to destroy man. The wickedness and the violence was rampant. God's had enough. Uh, it, it, It was so much that it literally pained God. So he repented for making man. But then he looks down and he sees Noah, and the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But I ask this question, how was it that Noah found grace in the eyes of God? 
God is, just, just picture, God is looking down at the earth and he's looking at all of man and there's so much wickedness, so much violent, so much evil intent that he's looking down and that's all he can see. But somewhere in the midst of it, he sees one guy and he says, I'm going to have grace on him. When God is looking down at the world and he is deciding whether to bless or whether to judge or whether to curse or whatever he's deciding to do. I want you to know something, that I want God to look around and in the midst of all the stuff that is our society, all the good, all the bad, all the evil, all all of the kindness, whatever it may be, I want him to look at my life and say, you know what, I'm going to have grace on Randon. I want him to look at your life, and I want him to see you and say, I'm going to have grace on him. I want to bless them. I want to pour out my spirit on them. I want to do something for them. I don't want to judge them. I don't want to lump them in all, in all the rest of the mess, but I want to bless them. That's what I, that's what I think when I, when I look at God. So then I ask this question of the Bible, of Noah's life. What is it in his life that caused him to get God's attention to the point where God says, I'm going to have grace. What is it? Would you like to know? Because I think the same things would apply to my life. If they got God's attention in the days of Noah, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so the same, same things that were valuable to him then, the same things that got his attention then will get his attention today. Here they are. Verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Three things we see in this verse that give us a secret, some insight into how we get God's attention and find grace in his eyes. The first thing was that Noah was a just man, depending on what version you're reading. It might, your version might say a righteous man. This talks about how, God, how Noah interacted with the world, how he lived his life, his lifestyle, the decisions that he made. He did the right thing all the time. He made the tough decisions. When the rest of the world was doing other things, when the rest of the world was on evil, he decided to trust and, and to follow the, the ways of God. That's what Noah did. The first thing that we have to ask ourselves Is that are we acting right towards God and man? Are we just and are we righteous? If we're not, then we can't expect God to show grace and favor and blessings upon our life. We can't expect Him to separate us. The first question is a question of lifestyle. If I were to ask 20 people that you work with, are you a just person? Are you a righteous person? Are you confident in what their answer would be? If you're not, I challenge you to reevaluate the way you live your life. Secondly, the Bible said he was perfect. Your version might say he was blameless in his generation. While being just and being righteous referred to his lifestyle, his actions, the things he did, the way he lived his life. Being perfect or being blameless in his generation now refers to his mindset or his ideology or his heart. The first one was something external, but now God went even deeper and he looked internally into Noah and he said, I see something that I like in there. Look in verse 5. God's talking about the world. He saw that the wickedness of man was great and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. So God looked around, and he didn't just see what people were doing, but he looked at the thoughts of their heart. He looked internally. He looked at their mindsets, their ideology, their way of thinking, their intentions, and he said, no, no, it's evil. I'm done with them. But Noah had something different. Noah was perfect or blameless because you could not just look at how he lived his life, but you could look in his heart and you couldn't find any blame there. You could look at his heart and his heart was pure before God. He did his best to live a righteous life, not only on the outside, but on the inside also. So the second question that I have for you today is if you want to get God's God's, uh, attention to find grace and favor and blessing on your life to separate you from the rest of the world, the question is, what does your heart look like? We have a tendency to take on the mindset of the world. Think about things the way the world tells us to think about them. View things the way the world tells us to view them. But I want to challenge you to take on the mindset of the Word of God. To take on the mindset of the Bible, the way God thinks. And let that get into your heart. Let God renew your heart. And in that, you'll find grace and you'll find favor. What does your heart look like? Thirdly, Noah walked with God. First, we talked about his lifestyle. Second, we talked about his mindset or his ideology. But thirdly, the Bible says that Noah walked with God. I find this fascinating because when you take it back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you find where Moses, who, who wrote the book of Genesis, who tells us these stories, he uses the same versions uh, uh, the same verbiage when he talks about Adam. And he said, you may remember that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. How many remember that? This statement referred to a relationship with God where they talked with each other, where they walked together, where they talked together, where they they had a relationship. It wasn't just, I'm over here doing my thing, God, and you're up there doing your thing, God, but they walked together. And so when when Moses is now describing Noah, he says the same thing about Noah. Why is it that God looked at Noah and said, okay, I'm going to have grace on you? It's because not only was Noah just and righteous, not only was he blameless and and his heart was pure, but God knew all this about him because they walked in relationship together. If you want to get God's attention in your life, if you want his grace and favor, I have to ask you this simple question. Do you have a relationship with God? Because if you don't, the other two won't matter. You can do everything right. You can do everything according to the Bible and have no relationship with Him and still not receive from the benefits that Christ has for us. Remember, He he spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They did everything right, but they had no relationship. Do you have a relationship with God? Noah did and it caused him to it allowed him to find favor and blessings when God came and destroyed the earth with the flood. I want to have that same blessing. And no matter what God does on the earth, no, what, no matter what God does around the earth, as we come and as we walk, and, and I don't know exactly where we are in the end times, but I do know that we're drawing closer. And as we draw closer, I want to make sure that when God is drawing a line of demarcation, that I'm on his side. That's where I want to be. 
Verse 14. Make yourself an ark. Noah begins making the ark. God tells him how to make it. And then he gives him the why in verse 17. First he gives him the what to do. Now he's going to give him the why. Because I am bringing, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God says you need to make an ark. You need to get on this thing. You need to do something. You need to build this thing. You need to get involved in this deal because I am going to destroy the earth. Now, I find this fascinating because for Noah, Noah has never seen rain. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says that a mist came up from the ground and watered the earth. It has never rained in Genesis chapter 6. The skies have never opened up and water fall down. This is a common thing to you and I. We see it rain all the time. We live in Beaumont, Texas. It rains a lot. But imagine, put yourself in Noah's mindset for just a moment. The concept that it's going to rain and flood is totally incomprehensible. It's gonna, you're going to flood. Build an ark because it's, it's going to rain. How many of you remember in uh, August or so, August and September of 2005, as we watched on the news, Hurricane Katrina bear down on New Orleans, Biloxi, Mississippi, and the surrounding areas. We watched the floodwaters come in. We watched the total devastation that took place. How many of you remember that? Just a few weeks later, we start hearing about Hurricane Rita. Our city, the people around here, the people in Houston, have this fresh on their mind of what happened in Katrina. It was not hard for us to imagine our own homes being flooded. It was not hard for us to imagine our own city being destroyed, being wiped out, just like we saw on the news. So when they said evacuate, 98% of us said, no problem, we're out of here. Because we had just seen it. We knew it could happen. We believed it. When they said, it's coming your way, we said, yes, sir, I'm gone. In 1900, a hurricane was heading towards Galveston. Ranks as the deadliest natural disaster to ever hit U.S. soil. But they didn't believe it could happen to them. You see, in 1891, just nine years earlier, there was a big debate going on about whether they should build a seawall. You know the seawall that's in Galveston now? It, it wasn't there in 1891, and they were debating, should we build this big seawall? And the chief weather bureau director of, or the weather bureau chief from Galveston wrote this huge article saying, we do not need a seawall. It would be impossible for a hurricane to hit Galveston. And even if it did, we could totally survive it. Not only did they not build the seawall, but they then went and those sand dunes, which, were, which offer the only protection from the, from the surge, they went and tore those down and used them to build up low areas uh, and build houses on the internal parts of the island. So not only did they not put up protection, but they took down the little bit of protection they have. And they just believe there's no way it can happen. They believed him. In 1900, the storm is coming. People are out on the beach. They're having a good time. They're vacationing. Galveston is booming. Not even able to comprehend that a hurricane could hit them. Somewhere between six and 8,000 people died that day. They tell us 
approximately 145 mile an hour winds hit Galveston dead on. A train from Beaumont was trying to get in there and get people out. It got stuck, couldn't get across the, the landing at the ferry. People died on the train because of the floodwaters. Because they couldn't comprehend that it would actually happen. Has God ever told you to do something in your life but it's so incomprehensible, incomprehensible that you couldn't believe it and you couldn't follow him. You want to believe God. You want to trust God. You want to do what God says. But it's so big, God, that it can't fit in the framework of my mind. Now we come to the big issue for Noah's life. In verse 22 of chapter 7. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. In spite of this thing being too big for the world to understand, in spite of him not being able to know how rain could fall from the sky, how does water get up there, therefore how does it fall down? He couldn't grasp it all. He didn't have the tools that we have today to understand this. All he knows is it's never rained. God said it's going to rain, build an ark. And yet, Noah decided to believe God anyway. Here's what I want you to understand today. Believing God, to, to believe God is to obey God, even when you don't understand. To believe God is to trust Him and obey Him even when it doesn't make sense. You may remember as a kid, uh, when, or, or maybe with your kids, as you were going through new experiences and learning to do new things, as you go to do something new, it, it was always scary and I don't know if this will work. But for me, I, I would always be like, I don't know if I can do that. But my father would say, no, son, buck up. That's what he would always tell me. Buck up. Man up. Dad, I'm four. <laughs> but here's the decision that I would have to make, even as a child. Whatever it is, riding a horse, riding a four-wheeler, going down a water slide, going on a, a roller coaster, whatever it might be. I had to make a decision. As a kid, I've never done this. I'm scared. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know if I'm going to get bucked off or if everything's going to go wonderfully. So what do I do? I have to trust in my Father and obey. Reminds me of when Jesus said, and except as you become as one of these little children, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Maybe it's because God was saying, or Jesus was saying to us, listen, in your journey after me, as you go after the kingdom of God, you're going to have to do things that you don't understand. But just as your kid, you're going to have to trust me and still obey even though you don't get it. Even, the, even though everybody's looking at you and saying, you're crazy, Noah. Can you still trust me? Noah believed God, therefore he obeyed God. Then I have this incredible thing. Noah builds the ark. It takes him 75 years to build the ark. He's building the ark. People are mocking him. For, for many people today, 75 years is an entire lifetime he takes to build the ark. He finally gets it built. God says, go on the ark. They go on the ark. He says, okay, in seven days it's going to start raining. They're waiting on the ark. Day, day, day. Finally, it starts raining. God says it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and the floodwaters are going to cover the earth. And for 40 days and 40 nights, it happens exactly like God said it. And, and the same waters that were destroying the earth lifted Noah up and saved him in the ark. Now, 
I want you to think about something pretty incredible. I read these three chapters, four chapters, several times because I just find this fascinating. Maybe it's just me. Everything that God said would happen, happened. God said, build an ark because it's going to rain. So Noah built the ark just as God said. The animals come from God knows where, and they just start lining up and going on. Nowhere do we see Noah out there or, or, or roping cats and trying to get them on. We don't see that. The animals come on. The door is closed. It starts to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. It is raining. It is flooding. But here's the deal. God never told Noah what would happen after the rain. He never said, the waters are going to recede and you're going to get a chance to start over on the earth. All he said was, I'm going to destroy every living thing on the earth. So, here's Noah. Everything that God said would happen, has happened. He's on there, he's got chickens and donkeys and, uh, and a stray cat and, and all these things. And, and I don't like cats in case you don't know that about me. And, and so they're all on here. He, he's got his wife and he's got his sons and their wives. And, and here they are. 40 days and 40 nights. It's raining. They're thinking, look, God spoke. It really happened. We believe God. And then it quit raining. After 40 days and 40 nights. A little over a month. The problem is it's still flooding. All they see is water. And now they're just waiting. I figure maybe a week or so after the rain stopped, maybe Shem, maybe Ham, maybe Japheth, one of them comes to Noah and they say, Hey, Dad, what did God say after the rain? Think about it. Noah says, um, He didn't say anything. He just said, build an ark, and he was going to save us, and he was going to build a covenant with us. Okay. He goes back to the other brothers and the wives. What did he say? God didn't say anything to him. <laughs> 150 days total, the floodwaters were on the earth. 150 days. It only rained for 40 days and 40 nights. That means for, for 110 days, the waters are covering the earth, and Noah and his sons are sitting on the boat the sun is shining, but they're still floating, wandering aimlessly. They have been waiting on the boat longer than it actually rained. What do you do when God has done everything he said, and now you don't know what to do, and you don't know what to believe? Are you going to live on this boat forever? Have you forgotten us, God? Do you think that Noah and his sons felt like maybe God had abandoned them? They forgot, thanks for saving us, now we're just going to die here. I've been watching that lion. We're running out of food for him. He's already tried to eat the chickens. He already tried to eat the, the, the gazelle. And he's been, every time I walk by his stall, he's looking at me and he just, gar, he just growls. I mean, I'm just, God, have you forgotten me on the boat? Have you ever felt that way? That, God, have you just forgotten me? I've been out here doing everything you said. I've been out here doing my best to obey you. I look like a fool in front of everybody. But you've come through for me. But now, it's been 110 days. It's been months. I haven't heard from you. You're not telling me what to do. Have you abandoned me and forgotten me, God? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I have. But here's what the Bible says in chapter 8, verse 1. Then God... 
remembered Noah. And every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Then God remembered. You got to know something. You keep trusting. You keep obeying. You keep doing what God said. He will remember you. He hasn't forgotten you. He, he hasn't abandoned you. He's just waiting on the right time. He, had to just, he just had to make sure everything was completed in the earth. Whatever God was doing under the water, he had to make sure he got it done. And then he remembered Noah. He hasn't forgotten you. If you feel abandoned, if you feel forgotten by God, he didn't forget you. Just keep believing. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're coming to a close now. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, whom, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine, he's talking about God here, long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which, which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through, resur through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to understand today. As we look at the story of Noah's, Noah. Not Moses, not Noah, but Noses. You got that? <laughs> it is a picture of water baptism and the life of the believer. This is what Peter is sharing with us. He said, as Noah passed through the waters, the, the filth of the sin and the wickedness and the evil of the earth was buried in the water. And Noah was raised up on, and, he, and he was resurrected, per se. Uh, and, and so for us, as we go down to the waters of baptism, as we, uh, to, to baptismo means to submerge or to immerse. As we are immersed in the waters of baptism and we come up, our old sin, our old life, our old person, our old being, our old mindsets, our old habits, our old hangups, our old struggles are buried under the water. And just like Here's what, this is what Peter is telling us. Just like the waters covered the earth and buried the, the sin and the iniquity and the, and the wickedness, the same thing happens in water baptism, and you come up a new creation in Christ. In chapter 9 of Genesis, the Bible says that as, as God is creating this, this new covenant with Noah, in verse, uh, the first few verses there of chapter 9, God says to Noah, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Here's what he did. You might remember that because in Genesis chapter 1, as soon as God makes Adam, as soon as God makes man, he tells him the same thing. But man got away from it. Man got caught up in sin. So here's one of the things that happens when you are baptized. You go down. The old man has passed away. The sin is gone. But when you come up, not only are you a new creation in Christ, not only do you have power to overcome, not only uh, is, are you freed from the sin that has tried to bind you, but God looks down on you and he says, okay, I'm going to bring you back to my original purpose, my original intent for your life, and I'm going to speak that back over you. Everything you thought was lost, wasn't lost. You get a chance to start again. Everything you thought went too far, couldn't be done, was too, too messed up. God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to speak it into you again. He says in verse 21, 
verse 21 of, of 1 Peter chapter 3. There is also an antitype. Watch this. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. You need a clear conscience in your life. You, you need to know a few things about baptism. First of all, it's permanent. When the flood wiped away the sinful world, and our baptism wipes away our sinful life. You don't have to go back there anymore. Secondly, it is public. When we're baptized, we do it publicly. We do it openly because we're declaring to God and the world and the devil and anybody else who will listen, that was the old me. Now I'm coming up the new me. Thirdly, it's a pledge that I have a good conscience towards God. You see, when you repent and you invoke the blood of Christ, your sin is blotted out and no longer exists to God. He can't see your sin, but the problem is we still know it happened. The enemy still tries to bring it against us. He tr still tries to, 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 to hold you down because of it. But no worries. Peter said there is a solution. When you're baptized, when you come up out of the waters, you have a clear conscience. Yes, devil, that did happen. Yes, that was done. Yes, that sin did, did take place. But that was the old me. I'm a new creation in Christ. So you can't hold against me what happened in my life. What, you can't hold against me what I did before Jesus, before baptism. It's gone now. You can have a clear conscience. You can close your Bibles today. We're going to baptize some people here in just a few moments. But before we do, I want to ask you two very important questions today. The first question is simply this. Do you know Jesus? Do you walk with him? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you just? Are you righteous? Is your heart right? If it's not, today is your day. You can give your heart to him. You can repent, and he'll wash away all of your sins. He'll give you a chance to start over. Secondly, if you prayed that prayer with me today, or maybe you've prayed it recently, and you want to be water baptized, you say, I need the old man to pass away. I, I need the, the old hang-ups, the old frustrations, the old sin. I need my conscience to be clear. Today... We can baptize you and all that will pass away. You can have strength to overcome. You can be empowered to live Christian life in Jesus. You can do that today. Would you stand with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you this question. Noah had to build the ark for himself. God said, build for yourself an ark. There are some things in life that no one else can do for you. The two things I'm about to ask you today, no one can pray the prayer of salvation for you. No one can give your heart to God for you. No one can ask God to forgive your sins for you. You have to do it. I'll pray with you. I'll lead you. But you have to say the words. You have to make the decision. Do you need to know Jesus today? Do you need to give your heart to him and, and get a second chance to get a fresh start with him? If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand. A few more hands need to go up. Yep. I see them. I see your hands. All right. I want everyone to repeat after me as we say this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of all of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I want a second chance, God. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. Live inside of me. 
fill me with your Holy Spirit. Wash all my sins away. I love you, Jesus. I give my life to you forever. Amen. All right.